0: Hello and welcome to Speaking Spirit, where we talk about all things spiritual. Your host, John Moore, is a shamanic practitioner and spiritual teacher. And now, here's John. Hello everybody. I'm going to say good morning even though I don't know what time of day it is where you are. Where you when and where you are listening to this because it is morning here as I normally record these in the morning. Uh, but good day or good evening to you, if you're listening to this. I'm going to talk about uh, a spiritual truth, and that, <laughs> um, gosh, uh, what an inflated sense of ego I have to be talking about spiritual truth. Um, but I'm going to talk about... About it, I'm not going to give you spiritual truth. I'm not going to define, and it'll it'll be made clear as we go on <laughs> this morning. Um, I am not going to present myself as the arbiter of spiritual truth. That would be hubris and haughty, and I would have a big, gigantic head that wouldn't fit through my doorway. When I came home, I can present to you my truth, my sense of truth, right? And yours might be different. And I'm going to talk about that, about how we can have different truths and how there are different levels of truth. And, um, you know, my hope today is just to give you some things to think about. As you examine your beliefs and your your truths, and the things that people are telling you are true, and um, even how we measure truth and that that sort of thing. So, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate it, and I have a special place in my heart for well, all of you, but um, especially people who uh, I love to see people tuning in, listening from all over the world. Um, I'm in the East coast of the United States and I, you know, I know I have listeners all over the United States and um, you know, Canada and Mexico. So, you know, North America, but there are, you know, lots of you in Europe and Asia and even Africa and um, the Middle East and um, South America and everywhere. Um, so welcome, welcome. I love that. I love that I can talk to you. Um, and if you ever want to talk back, you can, uh, contact me through my website. I love to hear from people who have listened to the podcast. Um, even if you know, you want to tune in and say, you know, uh, I completely disagree with you and that's totally fine. Totally fine. I'm not going to, um, um, You know, I'm not going to be angry at people for disagreeing with me. Um, And that's an important point when I'm talking about truth, right? So um, we live in a world and we have a history um, of, you know, with humanity and we're, you know, we're still going on with this where um, we're willing to go to war and kill people for differences in belief, right? Think about, um, you know, the crusades or people who are forcibly converted to different religions or, um, places where, um, gosh, the same people, but who have different religions, um, you know, fight sometimes to the death, sometimes civil wars, sometimes wars between countries. Um, You know, I fully recognize that, um, you know, my own family history is, you know, I come from a uh, northern-slash-western European uh, heritage, and, you know, my ancestors for many generations were Christian, um, but before that, they were converted at the point of a sword, right? It was convert or die for them, and... That has led to generations of my family being being Christian. It's not to say that Christianity is bad or wrong or evil. It's just that um, you know there were people willing to kill other people to um, force them to believe their truths, and um, I think we all recognize. I hope, um, you know, we all recognize how messed up that is, even though it still occurs. And it's a way, it's a form of tribalism. It's a form of othering. Those are other people. They are not deserving of the same human compassion as the people who um, attend church in the same place I do or go to temple or go to the mosque or go to whatever. Or people who don't believe right? Because, you know, the, um, you know, certainly religion, religion has been wiped out in some places as well, religion or belief. Um, and I'm not here to talk too much about religion other from, other than that perspective that, um, you know, just the perspective that people are willing to kill and be killed to protect their sense of the truth, And, you know, I just want to go on record as saying that is absolutely ridiculous. Um, And there, and don't get me wrong, there are many, many people. In fact, I think most of the people on the planet are fully comfortable with uh, people of different beliefs, people of different truths, Um, you know. I think that's the majority of the people on the planet, to be honest. I think we are um yes, there are newsworthy events and massacres and horrible things that people do to each other. Um, um I see, you know, historically it may not look like it because we're exposed to horrific news every day and we have access to the internet and 24-hour news and everything but we are actually living in one of the most peaceful epochs in human history. It may not seem that way but that is um you know that's something that's something that is true from a well and I'm, I'm going to talk about um different ways of measuring truth but that is something that is objectively scientifically true. Um even though it may not seem like it, because you know when you turn on the news, all we talk about is strife, right? Um, and let me be an advocate for every once in a while. If you are a person who watches and reads the news, and you know re- reads online, taking a doing a news fast every so often. Um, in a way, we get sort of addicted to this. Horrible information that's coming across sometimes, um, and you know, news companies, uh, at least in the U.S. and and you know, definitely around the world, they recognize this, and you know, the ones that are for profit, they know that um, they can. Be more profitable by stirring up emotion, and that that includes negative emotion. And we can get just as addicted to negative emotion as we can to positive emotion. You know, we can we can be addicted to outrage and horror and all of these things. Um, you know, I know i i won't i won't, <laughs> I, won't um, I won't mention anybody, but I I know somebody who you know, during a particularly trying time in the United States political climate, um, was constantly watching the news, um, like nonstop when, you know, when this person wasn't working and, um, when this, you know, this person wound up with, um, blood pressure and heart issues and, um, I was just like, you've got to take a break. I get it. I get that you know that you're getting sucked into the outrage of the day, and you know there's a pressure to feel informed, um, but how informed are we? So anyway, um, yeah, I mean, we're living in a peaceful epoch, and I think people are coming becoming more tolerant. There is lots of intolerance. We have got eons to go before we can be um you know before we can declare ourselves tolerant at all um but we've made strides we have made big strides we've made big strides in human rights in the world there are still places where that um you know people want to live in middle-aged society where you know um torture and murder were okay you know um, got to enforce the rules and um, it is my personal opinion and judgment that um, that is not a way to create a better society. Um, you know uh, maybe you have a difference of opinion but uh, I don't I don't like that stuff I don't I don't like um, you know there's enough suffering in the world without us creating extra suffering. So let's talk about, truth. Let's talk about spiritual truth. Um, and as always, I'm going to define, you know, what I mean when I say this. And, um, you know, when I inter- when I introduce a term, I will give you my definition. And, uh, you know, I've said this over and over, and I will continue to say it because, um, you know, I- I'm not here to cause an argument, my definition is my definition, yours might differ, but I tell you what I mean simply so that you can understand what I'm talking about. So I'm not using words in a way that are, that may be unique to me. They may be completely unique to me. I may not have, we may not agree on my definition of a word, but you know, you'll understand me better if you know what I'm talking, you know, what I mean to say when I say it. Truth is very, truth is a very complicated issue that is frequently made into something overly simplistic, and there's a lot of black and white thinking about what is true. So, at least in English, something is either true or it is false. Um, and you know, we made fun of. Uh, you know, there was a word invented recently. Um, don't know if it's made it into the dictionary that something is truthy is sort of true. Right. And it was making fun of people who were just like making stuff up and, um, you know, and, uh, you know, that was close to true, but not really, you know, and it was used in, um, political satire. So I'm not going to use the word truthy. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to talk about truth a little bit in different kinds of truth. So there is, you know, there's a strong, um, idea or, or value or belief that, um, amongst many people that all truth is objective and measurable and anything that isn't, Objective and measurable isn't true, or um, can't, you know, can't, uh, you know, can't, can't really be true, or doesn't exist, or that sort of thing. So, you know, that's a pretty extreme belief system, right? This material realism: if I can't measure it with a scientific instrument, it doesn't exist. Period. Well, you know that is one way of measuring truth, for sure. Absolutely. You know, measuring things and and uh, that that sort of thing. And, um, you know, there are things. So, you know, what that doesn't um, give us and what it discounts is it discounts subjective experience as not being true. Um, and I would argue that that is a false argument. We cannot measure consciousness. We have no idea, no idea out of, um, you know, out of, you know, where, uh, out of which, out of what? I don't know. I don't know what I'm, how I'm going to say this. We have no idea how consciousness arises from a material scientific perspective. And there are lots of people who are trying to, you know, figure out the chemicals and neural pathways and, and honestly how are you going to take a bunch of electrical signals that are passing through wires which is essentially reducing you know reducing consciousness to the you know the the brain the physical brain and have that equate to a subjective experience of consciousness how are you going to sit there and listen to a symphony and you know, be moved by that and, and experience that and, you know, explain that away with, you know, these nerves fired. Um, I, you know, I don't think that's going to happen really, to be honest. Yes, we know that if, you know, we affect the brain in certain ways, consciousness, I, it can be affected or can go away. Um, my belief is that the brain is a receiver of consciousness, much like a radio receiver, but that consciousness is everywhere and it rises in everything, and that's my truth. So um, I was recently listening to a QA by author um, Jason Miller. Um, I recommend his stuff if you're into occult practices at all. Um, he writes on what he calls sorcery, and he has um, a background in um, Tibetan Buddhism and classical, I would say sort of classical Greek magic and, um, for lack of a better term, sorcery, as well as hoodoo, which is American um, folk magic, um, and probably a background in lots and lots and lots of other things. He's he's quite an expert in many different areas of the occult and magic and um, spirituality and that sort of thing. So I, I recommend him. Um, if you're into that sort of thing, he's got lots of books you can find on Amazon or, or at your local bookseller. Um, and I think he's coming out with more, but I was listening to a QA and a with him and he was talking about truth and you know how things sort of lie. And he put it in, in terms, and I don't know that he invented this, way of putting it, but, um, you know, he's the first person I heard heard put it this way. But he talks about the head, the heart, and the hand, right? And they're different concerns. So truth at the level of the head is about facts. It's about right and wrong. It's about what things are, it's science-based. It's about definitions. So when I tell you, I'm going to define a term for you, um, you know, I am speaking, hopefully, to the head part of you, right? And I do try, you know, I don't know if it's apparent, but I do try to speak to, you know, to you as a listener at different levels. I try to give you information, I try to try to provide some way of exploring meaning and I try to give you something that might be useful. So the head is you know thought and science and pardon me, I just knocked my microphone out of place. Um, as you may know, I don't really edit these things so um, if I burp or cough or hiccup or knock my microphone out of place, I don't usually stop the recording. Um, so you know, the head truth is all about facts and science, and you know that thing I was talking about objective measurement. You know what things can be um, empirically measured. You know this: uh, the temperature of the water is you know uh, twenty degrees Celsius right? Something that can be measured or a fact, you know, it is, it is night or it is day. Okay. So that is, that is sort of head truth. Um, and so with head truth, there's, you know, there's often, there is discussion, there can be disagreement, but usually you can, um, come to a consensus there's you know what we call consensus reality consensus truth you and I agree to a certain level of truth so then there's truth at the level of the heart and this is not empirical truth the heart is about emotion it's about feeling it's about meaning it's about value Emotion, and it diverges from head truth, right? So I can say my relationship with my children is important to me. And that is my truth. Can you measure that scientifically in any meaningful way? No, you cannot. And yes, you might be a social scientist who ascribes some, you know, who... Develops some way of measuring the importance of a relationship But it will not capture My experience of my relationship with my children being important to me You might capture some tiny aspect of that you might measure that How much time do I spend with my children how much priority do I place On spending time with them over other things or you know, whatever but you won't capture that meaning but that's not to say that that meaning isn't true that meaning you know is true and this is where this is where spirit starts to flourish a little bit where spirituality starts to flourish right where you know when i okay when i when i meditate for example you might do some head measurement of that you might say oh your blood pressure has reduced your brainwaves have synchronized you might you are you know your respiration rate and your co2 levels you know change and yeah you can objectively measure some of what's going on with me physically maybe even maybe even mentally you know if you give me a questionnaire about my emotional state before and after meditation right so em- empirically you can measure some of the effects of meditation and this has been done in study after study after study and that's you know that's good stuff to know it's good to know that meditation is healthy for the body um but from my from my heart level i know that when i meditate I feel better, I feel more in touch with the universe, I have an experience that is sometimes transcendental, and, um, you know, that is not something that can be measured in any meaningful way. Yes, I know that there are, you know, systems of Buddhism, for example, that have levels of nirvana and all of those things. And, you know, I'm not going to argue with those. Um, I think those are, you know, somewhat subjective. Uh, And, you know, maybe there are some ways to measure that. So maybe there's a headway of measuring that. But can you really describe, can you really describe the, you know, measure the experience of enlightenment? the experience of touching infinity, the experience of touching the divinity that is within you, the infinite divinity that you are connected to and connected to all things? No. Um, But does it make it not true? Does it make it not true that I cannot measure with scientific instrumentation my experience of the divinity within me? In my opinion, it does not make that not true. Um, You know, and people will, you know, people who are, you know, materialistic realists might um, try to describe it away with, oh, your brain chemistry is doing this and your brain waves are doing this and your, you know, breathing rate is doing this and, um, you know, sure. Sure. Absolutely. But does any of that describe my experience? Um, it does not. You know, we can put all kinds of words around it. We can put all kinds of study around it. Um, you cannot You cannot capture that. And, and, and I would even argue that words are not capable of describing truly transcendental experiences. If you've ever had one, uh, you will know in your heart that that is true. Somebody ever goes, what's it like? (laughs) You know, I'm always at a loss of words. You know, I had this really, you know, amazing, miraculous, spiritual experience. And was like, oh, what did you experience? You know, I almost can't describe it. My description can only touch the edges of that. Was my experience true? Of course it was. All of your experiences are true my interpretation of them might be, you know, might not be considered truth by some people. Oh, I am, you know, I've reached the ultimate level of enlightenment. I have ascended to 12th degree master of, you know, angel, laser technology, you know, whatever, Whatever we love systems and we love putting degrees on things. It's a very patriarchal Western way of thinking about things. And again, if that's the way you think about things, I'm not gonna argue, you know, necessarily argue with it. Although my position is very different. And it, you know, I come, I come from a, um, I come from a background of martial arts. I trained in martial arts since I was a child, and I still to this day, on occasion, teach martial arts and that sort of thing. And at least in the West, in the United States, and and I trained in Japanese martial arts, where, um, you know, colored belts became a thing. And that never used to be a thing, right? Like back in the olden days, you got a white belt, and you tied it around your waist, and it turned black over time because you never washed your belt, right? There wasn't in, you know, in the 1600s in Japan... You didn't go to a dojo and earn your yellow belt, and then your blue belt, and then your green belt, and then your brown belt. That didn't happen. But in the West, we have all these levels of belts and stripes, and we call people Grandmaster, and all of these things. There are all these levels, and I have participated in those systems. I was really excited um, when I got my first degree black belt and very excited when I got my third degree black belt and got my teaching license and, um, all of those things. Um, and it, you know, in, in my school, it did mean that you had been, um, you know, it was sort of subjective. My teacher was sort of like, okay, you, you look like you have the right level of knowledge and skill and training and being and that sort of thing. And it took years and years and years. It was a much more traditional school than some other places Um, where we have divided things. And and I'm not arguing good or bad around this, but we're very much into dividing things into levels and degrees. You know, we have bachelor's, master's, PhD, we've got, um, you know, white belt, the black belt, and then other martial arts started doing the same thing. And, you know, There are rankings in, in, you know, and these are modern things. It used to be, you know, in many countries that have martial arts traditions, you just just trained. You were either a teacher or a student. Um, And you just trained to get better. It wasn't about achieving X level. And there wasn't really an objective way of measuring that. And then, you know there came to be these like black belt factories where you could get a black belt in a couple of years or you have, you know, seven-year-old, you know, seven-year-old black belts. You know, it took me more than seven years to get my first black belt. So, I you know, I don't get, it It doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Um, But, you know, it it means people, it, it means to some degree, you have dedicated a certain amount to teaching or whatever. But, um, uh, but I digress. So we are very into placing things on levels and even you know, when we um, and, and again, this is not to say any of that is, is wrong. I'm talking about truth. It's a different type of truth, right? When we look at visible light and we look at the electromagnetic spectrum that we can see. We call some things blue, and we call some things red, and we call some things green, and we call some things yellow. Right? Certain to certain degrees. Um, is there is there disagreement about where blue becomes green? Is this a greenish blue or is it a bluish green? Sure, sure, because these are subjective. Subjective measures. Um, but, you know, if you don't stop at a green light, you can objectively get a traffic ticket. Or, if you, I'm sorry, you don't stop at green lights. If you don't stop at a red light, you can subjectively subject get a traffic ticket from a police officer. Uh, almost any place in the world, I would imagine. So, um, the difference there is, the difference there is important. And that is more of a head difference. Red light means stop. This means this, this is a fact Um, that red light is a signal for stop. It's a definition of something. It is a signal like word, right? Like we have, you know, like the word dog means, you know, a canine animal, but what if I call, you know, what if I call somebody a dirty dog? Am I literally thinking of them as a canine or am I using that as an insult? So again, definitions of things vary, but red light is, you know, that's a signal. That's that's a head truth. Um, so, uh, you know, that's something that can be, it's very objective. It's very truth based, that sort of thing. So, so far we have the head and the heart, and the, the, the third level is the hand. And again, I hope that when I talk to you in these podcasts, that I speak to each level of truth for you in every podcast. I try to be conscious of that. So, I talk about definitions of things, I talk about histories of things, I talk about you know that sort of thing. Um, that's very head truth. And, um, I'm, you know, I have a scientific background, even though I am, you know, I practice shamanism and have all, you know, have a, have a very healthy spiritual practice, but, um, I come from a scientific background and, um, you know, I have, uh, I've, I've got, uh, an advanced degree in computer science. And, so, uh you know, and I've studied statistics and um you know research methods and all kinds of stuff, but um I recognize that there is uh the there are these different levels of truth, right? So I talked about head truth, the scientific stuff, the um, you know empirical stuff, right or wrong, definitions, I talked about the heart stuff, which is about meaning and value and emotion sometimes can diverge from fact, not necessarily empirical truth. And then there is hand truth. And this is um, what is useful, right? What things are useful. And um, this is sometimes seen as, and, and again, we like to put things on level. This is sometimes seen as the lowest level of truth. I don't think things are low to high levels of truth, right? What is useful and what is not? What's useful can be a very significant, important level of truth. So let me give you some examples of that, right? Um, so placebo effect, right? Um, if you give, you know, if you give people who are sick a sugar pill with no medicinal, no known medicinal value, some certain percentage of them, um, will get well. And that percentage of them will, uh, you know, is higher than the percentage with no treatment whatsoever. Um, and, you know, we don't a hundred percent know why that is. And some research shows that even, um, Even when people know they're being given a placebo, uh, it still has an effect above random chance. So what the heck is going on? I don't know. I don't know. But are placebos useful? Sure. And so one might argue that placebo effect is responsible for some level of spiritual healing. Whether that's energy healing or shamanic healing or what have you, and that might be true. I don't. I don't know, and I don't know how you would measure that. However, does it really matter? Does it really matter if you go to a um, Reiki practitioner? And I and I honestly don't believe that it's a hundred percent placebo effect. I do not. I think that there are. Uh, I think that there's healing, like if you go to an energy healer, like a Reiki practitioner, or you go to a, a soul healer, like a shamanic practitioner, um, there is stuff going on that's not just placebo effect, I believe. But are these things useful? Do people get better? Do they feel well? In my experience, yes. I've had, um, you know, I see clients and when I do healing sessions with with them, the effect can be profound sometimes, and I have seen profound effects with other practitioners. I've experienced profound effects when I have had practitioners work with me. So is it useful? Um, can I do this and have a, an intended result? Absolutely. And so is useful is the hand level of truth, an important measure of truth. I think it is. That is a heart-based truth, right? That's a value. That usefulness is important. There's a um, aphorism or a principle of, um, you know, the sort of the modern teachings of Huna, the, you know, a Hawaiian-based spiritual system. And I don't know if this is, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is made up or not. I have no idea um, if this is a modern invention, but the saying is, "Effectiveness is the is the measure of truth." So if what you do works, then it's true. Um, then it's you know it's true. It's useful, right? It's a hand truth as opposed to maybe a head truth. I can't explain this scientifically, but it worked. I, you know, um, waved a chicken feather over a bonfire at midnight on the waning moon and incanted, you know, some Latin spell and, uh, you know, the next day... Um, a check arrived in the mail for some amount of money. That was unexpected. Um, did it work? Was that random chance? I don't know, but I might try. If that work, if that happened, I might try that again. Right? And so it doesn't honestly matter that much if something is um, placebo or coincidental, and quite frankly, I don't believe that much in coincidence. Um, I do a lot of work with omens and have so much experience with um, specific things happening in synchronicity, with other events that make them predictable um, in ways that there aren't, there aren't connections. I don't know how to describe it better than that. I'm sorry I realized that was probably really awkward. So again I'm trying to explain I'm trying to explain using head truth, I'm trying to explain a a hand truth, a usefulness truth, right? Um in shamanism we do a lot of work with omens, you know, we see certain things happening, repeated repeated patterns of things happening. Um, you know, in and the psycho analyst Carl Jung recognized this and called it a synchronicity, right? When things coincided, um they weren't necessarily random events particularly when they coincide a lot and um, weren't necessarily and, and I you know I fully believe that everything in the universe is connected to everything else everyone is connected to everyone else and so things move in you know in waves and patterns and vibrations and being able to to read those but again like it's hard to measure that sort of scientifically um, it's hard to you know, but it can be a hand truth, right? And quite honestly, our ancestors, it doesn't matter where you're from, if you go back far enough, if our ancestors didn't read omens well, we would not have survived as a species because human beings don't have, um, we are not, we don't have, you know, natural defenses against things. We don't have, incredibly sharp teeth or claws. We're not good at running or climbing, you know? So we had to do things like build tools and learn how to hunt. And, you know, we had, there were shamans in, in cult in these cultures who could, um, you know, read the signs and tell people where to hunt or where to gather water or when to plant crops when, when that became a thing. And, um, you know, that was a hand truth skill. If you didn't, if you weren't good at that, your tribe might have died out. You know, your people wouldn't be here. Your ancestors wouldn't exist. And that, you know, maybe that happened. Um, And so what I believe is that most of all of us, not most of us, all of us, and again, this is a belief, this is a heart truth for me. All of us are the product of generations and generations and generations of Um, People who had connection to spirit, connection to the natural world, were able to read omens, were able to, um, you know, work directly with spirit to feed their tribe and heal their tribe and learn which plants were medicinal and which ones were poisonous and um, all of those things and work with spirits of animals and spirits of nature and gods and goddesses and all of that. Um that's my belief. And I don't like I don't think. So my head truth is that if if that were not the case, we probably as a species wouldn't uh wouldn't wouldn't still be here. And so, you know, I say on my website, shamanism is your birthright, right? Whether you want to learn shamanism or or get shamanic healing, it doesn't matter where you came from. There are shamanic cultures in your past. There's shamanic cultures in your ancestry. Um, that is true everywhere we look and at every time throughout history, um, up until, you know, very recent human history. Um, you know, when we moved away from sort of shamanic tribal societies into, um, you know, quote, unquote, civilization. Um, and even then, in some cultures, shamanic practice continues um, to this day. Um, and I practice shamanism in this culture. So um, so that is, you know, sort of head, heart, and hand, three H's, I guess, um, truths. Now, what about when truths differ, right? What about if your truth is not my truth? You think that, um, I don't know, um, you worship a God I've never heard of before, and you think that's the one true God or, you know, what have you, and I worship multiple gods or I worship a different named God or something along those lines, um, and how could we both be right? One of us has to be wrong. Um, I think in cases like that, um, where people are wrong is where they is where they think they can't be wrong, Where there is absolutely no question or flexibility or belief that there can be more than one form of truth. I think that instantly makes you wrong, um, because the world is going to teach you a whole different bunch of stuff, and you can ignore it. You can use confirmation bias to cram it. You know, look for evidence of that your beliefs are true, and all that stuff. There are lots of people who are interested in what we call um, biblical archaeology, right? In proving, objectively proving that the things written about in the Bible happened exactly as they were written 6,000 years ago. And there are people who believe that the earth is only 6,000 years old and all of these things. Um, personally, I don't understand why that's important to them. Why why the the bible the religious doctrine which is about really heart and hand spiritual belief has to be a like a historic document you know and we i mean we know we know from the from the head learning from head perspective that a lot of the stories in the bible didn't originate there they came from sumeria and you know Babylon and all of these places, and they were different, slight. You know, maybe slightly, maybe significantly different before they were written into the written into the Bible. And you know, maybe you know. And I, I'm sorry if I'm trampling on your religious beliefs, but um, you know, my understanding, and I don't identify as a Christian, although I was raised in Christianity and and you know immersed in very Christian culture here where I live. Um, you know, I just think reading it as head, objective head historical truth like that causes a lot of strife. A, um, it's a lot of wasted effort because you're missing the actual lessons, which by the way, if you are Christian are about loving everyone, so, if you are a Christian and you think your religion teaches you to hate others or judge others, I will take exception to that. <laughs> Maybe that's your truth, but they that ain't in there. And you really got to twist things around to hate people. You really do. Um, and I'm not. I don't mean to single out Christians um, because I. Um, just like that is the mainstream religion that I know the best because I was raised, um, I was raised Christian. I went to Christian Sunday school and Christian church when I got older and I stopped identifying as Christian sometime in my twenties when that no longer worked for me. And I didn't like, um, some of the ways that some people had twisted, but there are, beautiful things in Christianity. There are beautiful teachings. There are beautiful practices. There are wonderful things. And there is magic and mysticism there too. It's just really flipping hidden. Um, You know, I I don't like the televangelist thing, not that they represent all Christians, but they represent a big amount. And I don't like it when they get mixed mixed in with politics. Um, yeah, you know, your values should be reflected in your, in your politics, but there's, there's, there's just, there's just too much of that, you know, these, um, you know, whatever, I'm, I'm not going to go down that path too much. Um, and, you know, if what I say offended you, uh, sorry, I guess, um, just, you know, I'm expressing, expressing my truth, and I am not at all ba- bashing Christianity as a whole, as a thing. And I realize that there are 14,000 recognized Christian sects in the world, and they don't all practice or believe in the same things. Yes, there are commonalities. They don't even read the same versions of the Bible, however. Um, and not all of them celebrate Easter and Christmas, or celebrate them on the same days, or, you know, all of those things. So... Um, so it's fine. I don't, you know, I can't paint everybody with a broad brush, and I don't have hatred for anybody. I do not. Um, you know, I just, I, I think when I see, um, you know, when I look around and, and I and I see expressions of hatred couched in something that should be about love, um, it does, it does bother me, and I recognize that's my own thing, but it does bother me, and I'm not gonna, I, I will. I will not hide that, um, so if you are not loving to everyone, I'm not particularly interested in your in your beliefs. Uh, I'm not because you gotta get there first, you know um, and there are lots and lots and lots of Christians I know and love who are loving towards everyone, and um, that's fantastic. That's part of that system that I love and adore. And I do my best to love everyone, even if they are, you know, even if they are hateful, I do my best to love everyone, because I think that's important. I may not, I may not like what you do, but I love you as a person. Because you are a person, and you are divine, and you are, um, you know, you are connected to me, and um, if I don't love you, I'm not loving part of myself. So, anyway, <laughs> I digress a lot. I realize that. I go on these tangents talking about things, but it's okay. But we're talking about truth. So, you know, in the um, so in, in Huna, there is this principle that um, truth is the, the effectiveness is a measure of truth. And there's also a saying from there that says that truth, all truth is not found in the same school. Meaning that they actually recognize that different viewpoints can, can also be truthful, right? Whatever that means, different viewpoints can be effective, you know? Um, and I, you know, and I, I liken it to you go to a, you go to a doctor, you're sick or something and you get an opinion and, um, Sometimes you can go with a treating whatever you have medically and sometimes you can go with treating whatever you have surgically. And sometimes either one would be just as effective. And which one would work is really um, a matter of opinion. And you follow the opinion of hopefully the doctor who has you know the most expertise. You get consults, they look at it. Um and they don't always agree, but you know, um, either way could could potentially be effective for the same thing, right? You could treat the same thing from in two different ways, and it would work. And so each one would be useful, and each one would be a true way of treating some some dis ease Um, and so that, you know, that's an example of, you know, two schools that can both be right, that can both have the same truth. I think I may be, I may be about to misquote something and I may be giving the wrong credit. So feel free. I should have looked this up before I did the podcast, but I just thought of this quote and feel free to correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, if I am wrong in my head, my head level of truth. I think it was Niels Bohr, the physicist. Um, and interestingly enough, like a lot of these, you know, quantum physics guys um, became much more spiritual, spiritually oriented as they um, really started to plumb the depths of the, you know, of scientific reality. Like those things start to come together, right? Where, you um, If you observe particles, they start to act differently. Well, that's weird. You know, that's really weird. How does that happen? How does my consciousness or the measurement of particles affect their behavior? Right? And um, you can, you know, it's a famous experiment, but you can look at the... um, I think it's called the double slit experiment, where they, you know, fire a light beam through um, two slits, and if they, and you know, if they measure it a certain way, um, it behaves as a you know, as, as particles, photons, and if they measure another way, it behaves as waves. does that work? I don't know. Observer effect: the act of the act of being conscious of something, of observing something changes it at a physical level. So anyway, I think it was Niels Bohr who said, the opposite of a profound truth may very well be another profound truth. So that's, you know, that's saying something for somebody who is heavily into the mathematic aspects of science. And again, I might be misquoting slightly, uh, but, but the thought holds and I might be attributing it to the wrong physicist, but, um, and feel free to look it up if you, if, that, if that's really important to you. Um, but that was said by, you know, a, a, a very famous physicist. Um, and so these, you know, this area of science starts to get into the, you know, when we start to get into these weird, um, quantum effects where, uh, you know, teleportation happens and, um, You know, observing things changes them and, um, you know, uh, particles pop into and out of existence from nothing. Um, You know, that happens and we can observe that in in a lab and measure it. Um, That's some, you know, we're starting to get to some pretty spiritual levels of science there. Starting to. Think about what we might discover in the next thousand years of human human science. Think about where we were a thousand years ago, right? We were you know um iron age <laughs> a thousand years ago, and now we have uh space travel and lasers and the internet and podcasts and toasters and houses. And technology is accelerating. Think what we will learn in the next... If we survive as a species, um, if we don't stop destroying um, the planet, which is our source of life, think about what we will learn scientifically in the next thousand years and how much like super advanced science has moved in a direction that is very close to what um, the spiritually spiritually advanced teachings have been talking about for, for ages and ages and ages. Um, I wish I could remember the name of the book at this point. Uh, I believe it's on Amazon, but um, uh, a colleague of my shamanic, my main shamanic teacher um, did PhD research on shamanic healing and used um, quantum EEGs to measure uh to measure what 's going on and can prove that there are not you know there 's non local phenomena happening during shamanic healing um that 's pretty crazy. How does that work we don 't know yet we can say oh it's you know it 's spirit from a head truth level that 's really hard to measure. So as I come kind of to a close of this particular episode of the podcast um I you know I I talked about how I always try to give you uh so head heart and hand stuff in these podcasts I did a lot of head talking today a little bit of a little bit of heart and I talked about the hand but I didn't I didn't give you anything that was necessarily too useful from a practical perspective, but um, what I would encourage you to do is um, to examine, you know, take some take some time, it doesn't matter, five minutes, ten years, doesn't matter. Um, and start to examine your beliefs and your beliefs are anything that you hold to be true and here's um here's where this gets a little sticky right um so that includes things that can be scientifically measured right so um i believe that you know um I believe that 1 plus 1 equals 2. Now that might be empirically scientifically objectively provable. But the fact that I hold that as a truth because I might believe that 1 plus 2 1 plus 1 equals 3. Um, which could be scientifically empirically wrong, but it's a belief that I hold. So even if my beliefs are measurably true, it is anything that I hold to be true is a belief. The act of holding something to be true is is belief. And I've had this argument with um, atheists. I have nothing against atheists if that's what you, you know, if if that's, you know, if that's your thing, and they will tell me that um, atheism is not a belief. It is the absence of belief. Um, and that doesn't hold water with me because absence of belief is a complete absence of knowledge. Um, if I if I had never heard of deity or God or gods and goddesses or or what have you, I would not hold any belief you know, necessarily hold any belief about that unless I'd encountered that some other way. Right. So if I'd never encountered it, I would hold no belief. I would hold nothing as true. But, um, you know, if you're an atheist, you hold the belief that there is no deity. There's no God. Um, and then we'll tell you, nope, that is objective. That is objective truth. And my point is, even if that is objective truth, even if that is somehow empirically provable, the fact that you think it's true is still a belief. That's it. The belief is just the thought that it's true, that something is true, whether it is or isn't, regardless of its actual nature. So a really interesting thing to do that creates a whole lot of flexibility for people is to just run thought experiments around your beliefs, like experiment with them. Um, This is not to say you have to change anything you believe in. It's not, you know, I'm not trying, I'm not necessarily trying to do change, um, core beliefs um, you know I believe I'm a good person I'm not trying to trying to change that um, but you can run thought experiments and I have found this incredibly useful um, where I take something that I hold as true and I ask myself the question um, what if I believed something different? what if, what would, ha- like, how would, how would that change things for me? I believe the sun will come up tomorrow. Um. What if I didn't believe that? Or what if I believed that I needed to perform some ritual every day to make sure the sun arose tomorrow as some of our ancestors did? Or what if I believed the sun was, an illusion? Or what if I believed, you know, the earth was flat and the sun rotated around the earth or, you know, what have you, even though I don't actually believe a lot of, you know, those things. Um, how would that change other beliefs? And so I play with that. Sometimes I play with having a flexible belief system. Um, having a flexible belief system can give you a can give you a leg up. It can make you more adaptable. Right? What if that weren't true? Or what if you believed something different? You know? What if I believed my name was something different? What if my name wasn't John Moore, right? What if what if it was Harry Schwartz? I don't know. How would that change things? Well, um, we changed my driver's license probably i probably wouldn't i'd probably think my driver's license wasn't mine or you know the mail coming to my house was meant for somebody else um you know and i'm being i'm being a little funny here but um but yeah i mean you can you can examine your beliefs play with them a little bit what if i believe something different or what if i didn't believe that or what if i believed that wasn't true or what if i didn't what if I held no belief, meaning I didn't actually know about this right how would that how would that change things for me? And you can from that i I think you can plumb a lot of really useful um, useful stuff, you know and um, you know some t- you know you don't have to do this with your core beliefs, right. You don't, like, if this is, this can be super uncomfortable if you're talking about a core belief. Like, I believe I'm a good person. What if I weren't? What if I believed I was an evil person? You know, I mean, that's an interesting thought experiment for me, but that might be um, psychologically hard for some people. Um, but how would that change, you know, how would it change my behavior if I, you know... Um, so I have, I have never, I've never practiced, um, say Judaism or Hinduism as a spiritual, you know, as a religion or a spiritual practice. What if I, you know, what if I, what if I did, what if I believed those things? And I'm not saying I don't believe that those are are true for people or things or, you know, whatever. I'm just saying, what if I changed so those were, how would, that, how, how would that affect my life? How would that change things for me? How would it change my thought process? So um, this is just a little exercise, just so I can give you something useful to take out of this. And I think it's useful because it um, does allow us to do some self-inquiry. And it may even lead to where does this belief come from? Um, I don't know if this is still true, but I do know that 20 years or so ago when they did um, they did research in the United States that something like 70% of people in the United States um, belonged to the same religion that they grew up in, right? And so, um, you know, we know you know we can we can assume from that maybe and that may be true or not cuz it's an assumption um but we might believe that oh you know our upbringing has a lot to do with our spiritual and religious belief system even if and that's true even if i've rejected the 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 religion or or system of spirituality that i was raised in right it had an influence it affected me somehow so you know when i look at what i what I believe and you know, I sort of like um, play with that. What if I didn't believe that? And then I look at, well, where did this belief come from and that sort of thing? Um, it allows me some flexibility in the way that I look at things. And I find that that's incredibly useful uh, because sometimes it, it doesn't matter what you, what you hold to be true. Um, at some point in your life, something like something that you hold to be true and i'm not saying it's necessarily spirituality is going to be proven wrong just because we're sometimes wrong about stuff or it's not going to suit you anymore or it's not going to work for you and when we hold our beliefs with like you know like i had like if i don't believe this i'm going to die kind of thing that's where um fundamentalism and religious wars and that sort of thing comes in um, and I haven't even really talked too much about cognitive biases, but, you know, we, you know, a big one is, um, you know, we believe evidence that supports things that we already believe. We put stronger weight on evidence that supports things that we already believe. So if you believe that the earth is flat, you know, and you see pictures of the earth from space and it looks round, you're going to disbelieve that where somebody presenting some evidence that the earth is, you know, quote unquote evidence that the earth is flat. I've actually flown around the world completely. So, um, I, I have firsthand knowledge that it is not flat. It is a ball. Um, but you are going to potentially believe evident. I can't believe that the people in this day and age still believe the earth is flat and that it's some kind of conspiracy. Um, but Hey, you know, what if I believed what if I believed that? Well, I would disbelieve I would have to disbelieve my own experience. Gosh, that's weird. Right? So, um play around with that and I hope that it's useful. And with that, I am over an hour and I hope this has been uh useful and interesting. I am um working on getting some more guests on my podcast soon so that it's not just my voice that you um have the pleasure of listening to each time. But that, um, you know, I can talk to people who have some interesting beliefs and viewpoints that they can bring in that aren't necessarily mine, but um, that's totally fine. We can entertain other people's um, stuff. And I think that helps us get along better in the world. So with that, I will say that um, I love you and it doesn't matter who you are. Um, if you are, you know, listening to this or not listening to this, I love you because you are a person and you are deserving of more love, not less. I will talk to you next time. It has been my pleasure. been listening to Speaking Spirit, with your host, John Moore. For more info, or to contact John, go to mainshaman.com. That's M-A-I-N-E-S-H-A-M-A-N.com.